Peasley drops back into the shotgun. Broncos blitz up the middle, forcing Peasley to throw it, and it's intercepted. A jumping, diving interception. Ty Benefield, the freshman, comes up with it. Dubar behind Gums in the backfield. Handoff Dubar. Dubar up the middle. Touchdown, Boise State. Breezy Dubar with his first touchdown as a Bronco. The freshman scores. And it's 14-7 Broncos pending the extra point. Zone read. Green going to take it. Right side. 10-5. Touchdown, Taylor Green. 21-7 Boise State with 11 minutes to go in the third quarter. And Green into the end zone with a rushing touchdown, his fifth of the season. Well, right when we thought it was time to hit the panic button for the Boise State football team, the Broncos bounced back with their most lopsided FBS victory of the season, smashing the Wyoming Cowboys 32-7 on the blue. Shane, it felt like it easily could have gone, you know, 40 to nothing uh, if you would have taken the turnovers out of the game for Boise State. But a rather dominant, not perfect, but pretty dominant effort. I think you could say the best all-round four-quarter effort by this team this season. Yep, uh, it looks like to me that the defense played the same way they played, uh, I guess, <laughs> if you want to technically say it's almost the whole game of Colorado State yep. outside of four minutes and then the second half of Memphis, I mean, second half of uh, San Jose. So the defense looked just like it has the last basically two and a half games, but they were able to finish it this yeah. time. I think some su- super encouraging uh, strides are being made by this young defense right now. Uh, last week on the podcast, we talked about you know how talented that Fiesta Bowl team was in 2014 and all the star-studded NFL caliber talent they had on that unit and how young this team is. Well, now all of a sudden they're starting to take a, a step forward. We're going to dive into that uh, coming up later today on Jay Sports Bar. We're going to preview Fresno State, a rivalry game. Shane knows this rivalry all too well uh, as you played, you battled against the Bulldogs a number of times throughout mm-hmm. your career. Um, and then obviously the the offense. You know, it, it, it's impossible to ignore what's going on at the quarterback position right now because um, it just is. You, when you play two quarterbacks, it's always going to be a storyline. And I will say this at the end of the at the end of the game last week. Um, it it worked. The, the two-quarterback system worked. You had Maddox Madsen throw for a touchdown. Taylor threw for a touchdown. Taylor added a rushing touchdown. Maddox was super efficient, 12 of 15 for 147 yards. Both of those guys had quarterback efficiency ratings of over 184. Strong to the left, McAllister to the right. Madsen looking right, now back over the middle. Threw it to the back of the end zone, and what a catch! When you're using two, it's always going to feel just a little clunky because yeah. it just seems weird watching a quarterback run on and off the field but at the end of the day it it did work yeah and all season they've been able to score points we've talked about it so much uh like it's so you know it's so unconventional but for some reason we're still able to put up over 30 points every game yeah no matter if one quarterback's playing bad both are playing bad you know we just still find ways to score points which is why when you finally get your defense going and they're able to make get some stops and be dominant this is when you get those blowouts because we're still doing the same thing we've been doing all season offense mm-hmm. trying to figure things out that's still where we are sure. but the defense is kind of stepping it up maybe the encouraging thing about it is also the worst thing about it uh, what i mean by that is they were able to do it for the most part without ashton genty they need him back in the worst of ways he left last week's game with a uh, you know lower body or a leg injury, uh, we'll see what his status is for this week moving forward. Uh, they certainly could use him going down to Fresno. The good news is they do they did get George Halani back. I will say George, man, I I think the world of George Halani. I think that 
Um, when you talk about, you know, the, the brotherhood and being blue collar and, and stuff like that, these are all things that George doesn't just embrace. He embodies. Yep. And um, uh, that being said, he didn't look like quite like peak George last week. You could tell like maybe some of his power, some <clears throat> of his cuts weren't quite what we've seen him when he's 100%. But this is a guy that, you know, didn't even begin training on land or running on land until about a week or so before the game. He was doing most of that, you know, his training in a pool. Mm-hmm. Um, how tough is it to go to make that transition, Shane, where you're trying to come back from an injury, especially a, lo- a lower body or a leg injury, and, you know, you're really only running on, on land for about a week and a half, and then you got to go play a football game where you're running between the tackles yeah. against 300-pound men. It's tough for the running back position because – those guys, obviously, you get the ball and you might need to stop going this direction and go that direction, mm-hmm. you know, in half a second. So there's no way to simulate that in a pool where you're going to have a ton of resistance. Uh, and, you know, you're not – the weight changes, obviously, mm-hmm. how much weight you're carrying and stuff when you're in the pool and the density. But it's just no way to simulate that, you know. And so he did a lot of that. It was a lot of, okay, I got the ball. I need to change direction now, full yep. speed. And so – you can tell that you know he's kind of working it back yeah, in. and I'm not even. I'm, I'm really not even trying to be critical. I'm just trying to praise like how good George Halani is mm-hmm. when he is 100. percent Like yeah. you could just tell like he was moving. He go to make that cut. He wasn't just quite as quick going back the other direction. But yep. um, we are we're going to hear from Coach Avalos, Coach Danielson, and, and Bush Hamden a few times today. We might as well begin now because uh, Bush, uh, like myself, pretty much thinks the world of George Halani. You know, he's one of those guys whose actions have just always spoken so loud. He doesn't say a whole lot, but it's a professional approach. It's that blue-collar mentality, I think. Uh, certainly when he even just got back to practicing with the offense, it's like everybody else took their level of play up. You know, I think it's a guy that understands the importance of practice execution equals game day reality. Uh, He understands taking care of the football. That's one of those guys you'll take year in and year out every day of the week. The cool thing about this story when it comes to George Halani is he was supposed to be highly, highly limited, as we talked about or kind of speculated about last week on the podcast. But with Ashton Genty going down early in that game, um, you know, they they had a conversation. George said, hey, let's – Let's test it. Let's push it. And he ends up with 75 yards rushing on 20 carries, has a couple of receptions, one beautiful one that um, was down in the red zone, a 17-yarder where Maddox kind of threw it up into space and George turns at the last second, hauls it in. And uh, that that was an incredible performance by George. They needed him against Wyoming. And now with a question mark over Ashton Genty's availability, at least for the immediate future, it's not going to be a long-term thing, but at least for the immediate future, George is going to have to do this whole rest and recovery and and get ready for game day on the fly. That that's going to be when you when you're going through something like this, Shane. How much more time are you spending in the football facility than what's required of you just to get healthy at this point? Uh, for him, taking what is it, twenty hits last last week? I mean, after if you that doesn't include pass pro, that doesn't yeah. include the receiving game. I mean, mm-hmm. after not taking any for five weeks, mm-hmm. he is probably banged up. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Uh, I think the person that's going to affect the most is going to be Breezy because now you step into the role kind of that you've been in, but I could see him getting more touches for the, so they don't have to give Halani so mm-hmm. many. So his workload might increase if yeah. we don't have uh, if we don't have Genty. It already felt like it did last week. In all honesty, Shane, like going into that game, 
I would not have predicted that that uh, Breezy Dubar was going to get 12 carries. Mm-hmm. He ends up with 12 carries for 45 yards. I did not see that coming. I also didn't see Ashton Genty leaving before the first quarter had expired. You're exactly right, though. I think a lot of people talk about George getting more work than anticipated. Breezy did, too, and mm-hmm. he is a true freshman yeah. that, that you know is on the verge of playing in his ninth game as a college football player. But he did a good job. They had that... Um, down in the, the low red zone, he finished off that one drive with a rushing touchdown and uh, ran behind his pads, got low. You could tell by the celebration he was really, really excited to score his first yeah, collegiate touchdown. For sure. And I was so confused. I was like, you know, we got the freshman and we kind of have Ashton Chinty yep. on the sideline. And so it all made sense once you realize mm-hmm. that Chinty's hurt. But, mm-hmm. but, yeah, his workload is going to be increased. If he had 12 last week, and that's just from a half of, you know, mm-hmm. being out. I could see him getting 15 yeah, this it, week. And it could, I could see George getting 15 this week. Right. It could go up even more. And that's what you, you do have to ask yourself. Like, is was 20, 20 seem like a lot for George. Mm-hmm. Do you, now that you're like game planning that there is no pitch count, like how do you, how do you divvy that up? And one thing that this team is, has shown time and time again, they're going to lean on their ground game. I believe that's their third straight game that they went over 225 on the ground, Shane. Uh, they they finished with 50 carries for 227 as a team. Um, it had been a while uh, since Boise State has strung together three consecutive games with 225 or more rushing yards. Like I know I looked this stat up. I posted it on Twitter earlier in the week, but we're talking about like back in like the middle of the Brian Harson era. It, it it's been a while since they've been able to achieve something like that. Yeah, and I think the their ability to get Matson running a little bit this week mm-hmm. that was. That was a big, big plus for him. Well, let's just go into it because um, the longer we uh, put it off, it just means that we're avoiding the, the quarterback controversy or, or, or talk. They leave us guessing every week, Shane, because last week Bush Hamden said, you know, in an ideal world, Taylor Green plays 60 to 65% of the snaps. Uh, do you know who played more than 60 to 65% of the snaps this last week? Maddox Matson. The snap count split was uh, Maddox had 51 and Talon had 21. And Talon started the game, got off to a pretty good start, had a costly fumble that kind of seemed to change his afternoon, I would say. We can't turn it over, obviously. we don't. If we don't turn the ball over twice, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I think we get a shutout there. But when you're in a quarterback battle, obviously just fumbling the ball while carrying it is big. Mm-hmm. So they have the ability to just say, well, we're just going to go with the other guy since one's, you know, making – critical mistake so everything's got got a magnifying glass on it it does at this point in time uh, i just to look it up I, I just looked it up in 2016 that was the last time the boise state had three straight games of 225 rushing yards or more that was l- right after you left not not too long after you left leaning on jmac back in the day apparently oh, at that point yeah. in time big weapon yeah so when we look at maddox Matson's numbers now uh, in the Mountain West, where he ranks amongst quarterbacks with at least 50 attempts, because I, I, I just put it at 50 because that probably means that uh, you've started a few games. You, you definitely have a, a sample size there. Maddox Matson, for example, is, has 79 attempts, so he's well above that 50. But when he's not going to be listed on any of the official qualifying quarterback numbers at this point because you have to average 15 attempts per game. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I just don't know if he'll be able to do that. Like, he yeah. played most of last game and he only got 15 attempts. Yeah. So just lowering that bar a little bit and still trying to add some perspective, Maddox Madsen's quarterback efficiency rating this season is 164.8. 
amongst quarterbacks in the Mountain West Conference with at least those 50 attempts, that ranks first in all of the league. His yards per attempt, 9.3, that ranks first in all of the league. His completion percentage of 67.1 ranks second in all of the league. He has as many 20-yard completions this season, 10 of them on 79 attempts, as Andrew Peasley does all year, Wyoming starting quarterback, and, and he's put in the air 162 times this season. So roughly, you know, uh, not quite triple, but definitely at least double of, of what uh, – of Andrew Peasley has, has attempted. So when you consider all of that, when you consider how productive Maddox Madsen has been on third down, I know we discussed that a little bit last week. Well, we can discuss it again this week. He was four of six for 51 yards and a touchdown on third down against Wyoming alone, a 193.1 quarterback efficiency rating. Maddox right now leads the Mountain West in third down quarterback efficiency rating at 178. That ranks seventh in the country on third down. There are really some areas where Maddox Madsen has thrived. And there are some areas where Taylor Green has had some weaknesses. And I know that one of them is the coaches continue to point to third down performance. The, the numbers, I think, speak for themselves in, in yeah, those regards. For sure. And just hearing all that, it just my mind starts to drift off a little bit to is it possible for us to have back-to-back Mountain West freshman of the years at the quarterback position. In two out of these three games where he has been a part of the quarterback equation, mm-hmm. he has won Mountain West freshman of the week. Like, what do you do as a program? Like, because to me, that just means at the end of the season, we're going to come to a crossroads. There's something that probably, it, it just seems like something's got to happen. That's it, not it, normal. It's not normal. And in, yeah. and in the current climate of college football, you figure something has got to yeah. give at this point. That. Is, I would hate for that to happen. I would hate for it to happen. It's it's very likely. There's been so much time spent on, um, you know, just the fact that there are, there is a two-quarterback system versus maybe saying, man, Maddox Madsen's done some good things when he's been on the field. And, yes, I know there were some times against in the Colorado State game where he wasn't great. But if you see the way that Maddox kind of processes the game, he processes it very, very quickly. I think that – he gets through his reads very quickly, and sometimes he gets to a, a fourth read. I particularly like the plays where you also can tell his smarts and his instincts are are on full alert. And those are like these these plays where he sees something pre-snap, and it's not a designed draw, and Maddox turns it into one where he goes and gets you know five, six, seven yards, maybe a first down. These these critical little drive sustainers yeah. or or plays that put you ahead of the chains, and and these are things that he is doing on his own at times. No, for sure, um, he's he is finding ways to make plays in the right situations, and he's getting better at not turning it over. Yeah, which is something that we really touched on a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. With him just he. If he has too many attempts, which I think Taylor's still getting a pull from those attempts, I think that's helping him more than it's hurting him because it's not putting him in harm's way. Mm-hmm. The the snap count says it all. I, I know the coaches are saying you know one thing on Monday, but game day is the ultimate reveal or explainer. And right now, they trust Maddox Matson more. I don't know there that might suck for some people to hear, but. Look at the snap count. Look at the production. Mm-hmm. You can tell us one thing on Monday, but I'm going to believe what I see on Saturday. Yeah. And a 51-21 to snap count, that screams to me that they believe right now that Maddox Madsen just has more consistently to offer this offense than, than Taylor Green does. And just to walk this back a little bit, I'm not 
I still think the world of a kid like Taylor Green, man. I, I really do. That ball that he put on Eric McAllister in the first quarter, yeah, you literally can't throw that better. Like from his in the chest, yeah, from his form to his placement, like that was the throw that Taylor makes you go, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Like if we could get this every play, and I don't mean just completing forty nine yard bombs. Of course, yeah. if you did that every play, you would be the best quarterback in the history of the game. I just mean like the consistency of it, the footwork of it, the mechanics. It was a moment where everything aligned. And you got to see this kid and what he can possibly be. He comes out in the third drive and throws a glance route to McAllister. Over the middle? And yeah, and it's on the money. Right. Goes in up between high. between three defenders. Yep. Got a guy trailing, got a guy in front, got a guy behind, and he just puts it where it's supposed to be. Pulls the trigger on it, looks great. And then he fumbles. Yeah. He gets into the open field. He makes this explosive play. If, if there's anything in offense – um, probably emphasizes or, or things that really help an offense. One is limiting turnovers. The other is explosive plays, right? Mm-hmm. You look at Boise State's offense right now. Uh, their explosive plays come from Ashton Genty and Eric McAllister. And it seems um, Maddox Matson, I pointed it out, he's, he's made some big throws. Mm-hmm. But Talon also really has this big play ability to him, whether it be with his arm or his legs. Yeah. And so that's why another reason you're like, gosh, if, if, if the consistency could get there, then this, is, this could be the guy. Uh, but he takes off on that scramble up the middle. He puts the ball on the ground. And it really did – it just it seemed to change the afternoon because it seemed like it was going as, as planned. It seemed yeah. like Talon was going to be the guy to get 60% of the snaps – and then it just it, it it almost instantly changed to where Maddox became QB one, Talon became QB two, the the complementary guy versus the primary guy. To me, I think that they literally just come into the game and saying we're going to run the ball mm-hmm. and we're going to Talon's going to start. If things get you know shaky or don't go our way or we're not successful at doing it, we're going to go to the second game plan and mm-hmm. then we're just rolling Matson. Yeah, and and. Andy kind of – he didn't say as much, but kind of putting two and two together. You know, he stepped back from the podium after the last game, and he's like, man, Wyoming was putting a lot of guys in the box. Mm-hmm. What defense isn't going to load the box against what Boise State's throwing at you right now? Yep, which means you got to put your thrower in, and then you're just going to rip it. <laughs> right? That's yeah, – it's playing the game. If, if they're going to load the box, I mean, I, I just don't know who, what defense isn't going to game plan for that right now against Boise State. When you look at their receivers, they have some nice receivers. They have one great receiver, and that's Eric mm-hmm. McAllister. Agreed. Right? And so you, you're going you're gonna to game plan to take away the run game and then figure out how to guard Eric McAllister. And then if anything else works or beat you, you probably just kind of live and die with it. And even with stack boxes, you have – a guy that was averaging 8.5 a carry in the first quarter. Right. It just, it, it's just, it's different, man. If you don't have that guy, it's going to change some things. So I'm hoping this week we can get him back because yeah. 3.5 and 8.5 is a big difference. It is. And Ashton Genty is just so explosive with what he does. He, he barely played a quarter, six carries, 53 yards, as, as Shane said, well over eight yards a carry in that contest. 
And then you have Breezy Dubar and George Halani. They both average exactly 3.8 yards per carry uh, a piece. Taylor Green, by the way, eight yards a carry. Had that nice little uh, touchdown run from 19 yards out in the red zone that they really, really needed at that point in time in the game. But, I mean, Maddox Madsen does does well in his own right with his ability to kind of scramble and pull the, time, yeah. pull the ball down at times. He had five carries, 24 yards. Uh, the most impressive play for me for Maddox Madsen last week was actually right before his touchdown throw. He takes off, goes head first, and, and takes a really big lick. And you could t- see mm-hmm. for a second the impact in him. And then the very next play, he comes back, he hangs in the pocket, doesn't doesn't scramble, doesn't escape, hangs in the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield, throws a beautiful high ball to you know the majestic Prince Strawn. That gosh, when he gets it going, oh my God, look yeah. out! Uh, but you know he, he throws it up to him over a couple of leaping linebackers, and it was a, it was a beautiful throw, beautiful catch. But it also displayed some toughness out of Maddox Madsen. For sure, yeah, after he took that hit, I thought he was going to come out. I did too. That and with especially his... because when it's a rotating quarterback system, like yep. not only do plays dictate it, but you got to think like we're not like asking some guy to warm up and get into the game because he looks like he's a little rattled. You yeah. know, Kalen's already, already ready to go. Yep, he's in. And with Maddox's stature, it's tough when when you run him like that because obviously he's not the same five eight build that passion mm. Genty is right. so it's it's tough to run him but he runs t- he runs hard and there he had some big plays in the run game i know one i think might even got measured but he was literally turning those legs and yep. making plays it sucks because if if uh maddox madsen was like if he even if he was six feet tall he's listed at 510 i'm sorry he's not 510 no nope. there's no way he is 510 <laughs> if he was six feet tall i mean six two he could have Mm-hmm. He the way he plays the game and processes the game and an, his anticipation, his instincts, he yeah. could probably have his choice of where he wanted to go to college. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not the case for him, and he's five eight. But he has put himself now in a position. Like I said, we have talked so much about this quarterback system that um, maybe I have failed to acknowledge a kid that has really put himself in a in a in a good spot and he's earned his way into that spot. Maddox Matson's playing at a at a high level. I, I think it it a lot of it become comes from his ability to uh, work Monday through Friday, and um, Bush Hamden kind of explained as much this week. You know, you talk about that preparation, and uh, uh, some guys when they come into college, uh, maybe you have to catch them up to speed of what it needs to look like, and then there's other guys just understand it. You know, and I think. Uh, uh, a lot of times it, it comes from that situation when your dad's a coach, which his dad is, and uh, he, he knows what that looks like uh, from how to prepare, uh, how to do uh, enough, get the information, but not make it too much, if you will. Uh, and he's done a tremendous job in preparing himself. What have you kind of learned about Maddox in the heat of the battle that's allowing you to find a rhythm and consistency? Yeah, I think just how resilient he is. You know, I mean, here's a guy that, that you just got to know during the week probably takes about 25% of the practice reps. You know, and so uh, we've kind of all been there, you know, when you're you're maybe in that role. So uh, I just can't can't speak to how proud I am of him. Uh, Again, he's not taking every rep, you know, at practice and for him to go in there and play the way he does and be as efficient as he does speaks volumes about his game. Maddox Madsen finished that game by completing his last 10 passes. His last incompletion came midway through the second quarter, and from there on out, he was basically perfect. He had a couple of uh, a couple of incompletions, but there was I know there was at least two pass interference calls, which mm-hmm. that doesn't go against his incompletions. Yeah. So he was ten of ten to finish out that ball game and looked really really sharp. Now you have to wonder like, what does this look like going forward? Is it are we are we still just going to do the same thing every week where we go in and we say that 
ah, man, yeah, Talon's the guy. And then on game day, it's clearly Maddox. And Bush said, like, Maddox is still only really getting about 25% of the snaps in practice. Yeah. And then he goes out and he plays, well, uh, last week, 70% of them in a game. Yeah, I think at this point where we are, with how our offense is going and the ability to score points, you have to just stick with what you have. Mm -hmm. I think anything, any drastic changes right now could put 81 over the edge. Yeah. So I think it saves face. It keeps the team intact Mm -hmm. by just doing what you've been doing and you've been successful and been able to score. So I think you have to just stick with it. This sucks. I'll say it. This sucks. But it's a situation that is their reality right now. This is a Band-Aid. And they're going to have to keep the Band-Aid on the rest of the season unless something really starts to develop one way or the other. If it just kind of stays the same, they go like this through the rest of the season, and they better figure it out in the offseason because I don't think that there is any – appropriate game plan going into a year where you say yeah we're gonna we're gonna do this again yeah you know (laughs) i think people really need to understand this though you technically probably in the next four or five weeks will know that you have a backfield the quarterbacks and the running backs Mm -hmm. you have three freshman players of the years and a mountain west mvp in your backfield probably by the end of this year you're saying three freshmen. So you have, what is that? Breezy and Maddox. George, George was a freshman player of the year. Oh, I see what you're saying. You Going got back, George. Yes. You got Taylor. You got Maddox, and then you'll obviously we know who the Mountain West Player of the Year is going to be. I see it collectively. Interesting. And you're wow. back. I've never thought your, of it like that. In your backfield, two quarterbacks, two running backs. I've never thought of it like that. That's that's it's, crazy. It's a lot. That is a lot. Slide That's a lot of talent. Him. That's a lot of production. Like you can't point to anything and say that we're we're not talented. Yeah, I think if anything, you can't you know that that you can point and and kind of talk about Taylor and it just isn't. It doesn't feel like he is. I don't know whose fault it is. I'm not in the football facility. <laughs> I, I I can't I, I can't make accusations that a coach yeah. can't develop or a player can't learn. Like I can't. I don't know. And anybody that tries to pretend that they do right now, that's listening or watching, unless you're a family member or a close friend or in that building, then you do not know either. You are completely guessing. So whoever's fault it is, it has happened. And Bush Hamden said last week that, the, that you know, in season is not the training grounds for development. There are absolutely things you can work on and fundamentals and things like that. But when it comes to, you know, learning the proper footwork of being a quarterback, you can't start from square one in the season. Yeah. That That is all stuff that you have to hone your craft during the off season, and then most of it becomes instinctual once the whistle blows and you step between the white lines. That's a very, very thing, hard thing to work on in the season. And I will say this, too. If you, if, if you are trying to work on it, I don't know if the best way is to drop back and throw 40 times. It, it might yeah. be smaller sample sizes For where sure. you are really focusing on no, going in. You know the throws you have to make. You can visualize mm-hmm. all that stuff. And so when you get in the game, you're not worried about 70 plays. In this case, yeah. you're worried about 21. And I don't know if that was the, he only was supposed to worry about 21 going in, but 21 yeah. was all he had to worry about. Well, I doubt it was probably like that. The, that turnover just kind of flipped the switch it did and you know what you bring it up again i want to hear from bush hamden on this because he kind of explained the impact uh, that that had on him and he said hey i don't like to be emotional in my my decisions but he almost couldn't help himself right there 
Look, we, we've certainly had our issues with turnovers, right, in the last three or four games. And uh, I think as a play caller, you you got to do a, a great job in, in not being extremely emotional. You know, I think uh, when we scored on that first drive, we take it all the way down to, I think, the 15-yard line. We're the only ones stopping ourselves, and we lose that ball. There was probably a little bit of an emotional response to that. And uh, uh, But with that being said, again, I really felt like when Maddox got in there, you guys know what it is. I think it was like 12 of 15 throwing it wise. Uh, one of them was the incompletion to Eric on third down. One was a poor call on my part. That was a throwaway. So when you start looking at those numbers, um, you know, I thought he did a nice job of deserving to stay in there. Shane, I think the the wounds are fresh. Like they've had yeah. turnover troubles lately, and you could argue at Colorado State, it wasn't the reason why they lost, yeah. but it's it could have certainly helped them put the game even away even earlier than they oh, yeah. almost did. Further out of reach. Yeah, that, that's what it would have changed. You know, instead of being thirty one, it would probably been thirty seven six or yeah. something. If, if they don't have those first two, those two first half picks where they are running through Colorado State. If they find a way to not turn the ball over in those scenarios, which we're on the, the plus side of the field too, then all of a sudden, man, like that that game yeah. gets out of hand. You know, you feel by halftime, instead of 17 nothing, you might be pushing towards 24-27 nothing. And that's true. Going into the locker room, man, like that that is a completely different feeling if you're down by that many scores, that many points versus 17 nothing. 17 nothing, you still feel like you, you're in the fight at least yeah. a little bit. For sure. So we'll we'll see what happens at the quarterback position. I don't necessarily expect it to change. I think that everybody's going to continue to kind of be frustrated by the rotation and process. But at, at at the end of the day, if you see a W in the win column, especially this week, I think you just accept it, take it for what it is, and and move forward and know that this is probably going to be the way the Boy City is going to have to win over the last month of the season. And then they're going to have to evaluate, I mean, really, really evaluate how they go into next season, how they go into the off season even before that, because they can't go in like this again. And it, yeah. if it's meaning, if it means making sure there's the development's better in the off season, any of that stuff, I want to say again, Taylor's a great kid. Like I feel like I have to reiterate that, but it just it's something. There is a disconnect there that has prevented him from really making that next step forward this yeah. season. In in uh, what was you know supposed to be a big year is his redshirt sophomore year. Let's get on over the defensive side of the ball because these guys definitely deserve uh, a little bit of praise after what happened last week. They, Shane, one thing that stood out to me is I know that we have addressed the fact that this is a young defensive team. I also don't really think I've processed how young they are. Of the 25 guys that played on defense last week, 24 have eligibility for next season. The only one that didn't was DJ Schramm. All 18 guys that made a tackle in that game have eligibility for next season. And I was I was kind of questioning that a little bit because with COVID, I can't – I don't always know who's used their red shirt and who, who's had yeah. their COVID year and who has a medical red shirt. I know that Michael Callahan is, is getting up there in terms of his eligibility, but he still does have a COVID year. And so does Sheldon Newton, um, the kid that transferred out of the Big Sky to Boise State last year. So when you consider that, 24 out of 25 guys that played on defense all have eligibility for next season. Which – can change some things next year for us you know obviously we've been in these games where we're giving up 30 points mm -hmm. so yeah that's it's a good thing to know that you know basically what we're doing now is exactly what we can do again next year mm -hmm. and we should obviously be better, better experience and you know just the reps reps are just the best way 
to learn. So we can split this down. We, we, we can split the season in two halves. We can Now that we've moved on to November, we have September to evaluate and we have October to evaluate. This Boise State defense ranked 112th in the country in points per game allowed in September. In the month of October, it improved to 46th. Still want to be higher than 46th, but when you're a 112th, you'll take it. Uh, oppo- yeah. Opposing quarterback efficiency rating in September, 168.3. That rated, rated 130th in college football. In the month of September alone, 41st, 121. Again, an improvement. Yards per game allowed. They ranked 85th in September. They're down to 31st in the month of October. And the biggest turnaround of all, rushing yards per game allowed. In September, they ranked 79th in the country. In October, tied for third fewest in the country at 57.7 rushing yards per game allowed. So I do know that the competition is in October was quite a bit different than facing a top 10 Washington team in September, along with a UCF team that is really, really good. Uh, Their record no longer indicates how good they are because they were without their starting quarterback for a few weeks, but they did take a top 10 Oklahoma team to the limits just a couple of weeks ago. That includes a Memphis team, which can clearly score and has, and is having a great season. And so, you know, I know the opponents, in October weren't what they were in September, but these jumps have been so drastic that I can't help but also believe this young defense is starting to get better. Yeah, and if you just take away four minutes of stats and points just in those four minutes, mm-hmm. all of those stats change. Yeah, Colorado State, right? All of them. The, the, the last four minutes, they gave up 21 points in that in that 401 alone, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So if you want to take the um, – the you know the uh, what is it 145 minutes and 59 seconds since halftime of San Jose State mm-hmm. uh, until this most recent game. But if you take those four minutes and one seconds out, that is a span of again 145 minutes, 59 seconds where they allowed 17 total points, and again they allowed 21 in 401. Yeah, wheels kind of fell off there. There was an onside kick. Not all the defense's mm-hmm. fault, but still plenty of blame on the defense. Uh, but that that's a the sample size is getting a little bit bigger to where we can believe they're yeah. learning, they're growing. And I think, man, they got some young guys on the team now that are finally starting to really flash. Andrew Simpson last game, outstanding. Yeah. Jaden Virgin last game, really, really good. Ty Benefield, we have sang his praises since week one, had his first pick of the season, uh, first pick of his career last week against Wyoming. Those young guys starting to figure it out. The game doesn't seem so fast for them. Uh, the the you know the guys in the in the box too you can tell like they're starting to play a little faster the way that they're reading keys and processing mm-hmm. the game and I'm encouraged I would say I, you yeah. know I could have a very different tune at this p- point in time next week but I'm in, I'm encouraged by what I've seen recently out of the defense for sure and to me I think defensively we're playing our best football at the right time because obviously we know we're going through this gauntlet right now so. I think this is when you would probably want to. I know we would love to have beat, you know, Washington or UCF, but at the end of the day, those aren't conference games. So it's better to have learned from those and be ready to go for these games because these games are huge. Because like I said, if we went out, or like you said, if we went out, we might host. So uh, I think I said we will win out. So that's coming. <laughs> And you what can a, what else that. would you say? Come on, I, I'm telling you, I, our highs and lows. But if if we play to our opponents, to our opponents, then based off what we have, that's going to be great for us because mm-hmm. we have a lot of good opponents left. 
uh, Andrew Simpson is, I think we have started to identify a dude on this defense. You look at his first five games of the season, 19 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. His last three games, 16 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, and an interception. He's had 10 quarterback uh, pressures in the last three games compared to six in the first four games against FBS-only opponents. He is starting to dial it up, and I think he is a special player. And um, I asked Spencer Danielson about his his star linebacker uh, who rocks the number 10 in the middle of his defense, and he had plenty of good things to say as well. No, really proud of Drew, man. I mean, you talk about a kid that um, we asked to do a lot, you know, and, and I tell him that, like, um, going into last week, I mean, if you look at the positions he's played going into, you know, now week nine, it's, I mean, he's played all over the field um, in, in regards to the box. What we asked him to do, put a lot of stress on him. He's a very smart, savvy football player. And coming into this year, like we talked about, you know, had a couple, started a couple games last year when Zeke Noah got hurt, but really, you know, asked to step up in a major way, got banged up a little bit in the year, and being able to really come into his own. And, and, I, and I give a lot of um, hats off to DJ. You know, in regards to kind of showing that group of linebackers, Marco, Andrew, Jake Rip, Chase, just to name a few of, you know, what it takes to prep to play this game. Because, and I use that as an example for Andrew. Andrew's always been a very talented football player, um, very athletic, can rush, can blitz, can cover, very savvy. But he's really grown in his time here, what it takes to play linebacker here. Because, um, like I said, we put a lot on him. And so seeing him, the week he had of practice last week, you know, it was the best week he's had since he's been here. And I'll never forget, we, we leave our pregame walkthrough and we're getting ready to go to our pregame meal, and he's sweating because of the type of walkthrough he had. I'm talking, we play a game in three and a half hours, whatever it is, and I looked at him and said, you're about to ball out tonight. And he's like, I know. I think it was a few weeks ago we, we started to put people on alert about Andrew Simpson, yep. and now he is, he is really starting to become that player. I, I love his confidence. I think he is, a, he is a really smart player, and I think the coaches really trust him to do a lot for this defense. Uh, you can really tell with the reps – how he understands that once his key is gone, he can go. Because mm -hmm. if you look at it a little bit earlier in the year, when he's coming downhill, he's not running as fast. You know, it's still kind of, okay, am I going to the right spot type deal. But looking and rewatching the game, I mean, he looks like a missile just <laughs> flying through there. And you can tell, like, okay, he's read his keys and he's just going. Mm -hmm. And He's coming a million miles per hour, and he's making plays, and he did that all game. I think I think guy like uh, Jaden Virgin is – he was kind of stuck down the depth chart. There have been some injuries that have pushed him to the top of the depth chart, and now I don't know if he ever surrenders the position at the top of the depth chart with what we've seen out of him. His, his physique is one of those that you look at and you go, wow, okay, now all of a sudden like this, this kid in a couple of years could be that NFL player. I don't want to. I'm not going to liken him to Tank. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say I, I remember when Demarcus Lawrence first got here. Mm -hmm. You knew like immediately he was special, okay. but he was also like a 225 pound defensive end. And then like yeah. after a year or two, you're like, oh god, he ate a human, and now he's 260. 260. And now in the NFL, he's probably even a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. He, I mean, so he became that. And I, again, I, I'm pausing. I'm not comparing. Mm -hmm. I, there, there just are some similarities there that you're like, man, give this kid another yeah. couple of years, and holy crap. No, for sure. I, I can definitely see that. And that position is just one that it's just like many others. It's it's a rep. So the more reps he gets, you can tell now that he's getting reps, you can see what he has. But if this is where he is at his starting point, then 
It's gonna be really Let's good go. next three, four years. I, I didn't I thought it would be impossible for Spencer Danielson to praise to offer more praise than what he gave to Andrew Simpson, but I was wrong because he had even more when he was asked about Jaden Virgin. I'm gonna tell you this right now. Very, very proud of Jaden Virgin in the game. Um he, he was one of the best players in the game. And for a redshirt freshman to say that, especially at that position, you guys know how much we put on those edge guys. Very, very proud of Jaden and how he played in that game. And his future is very bright here. And like I said, after the game, that was one of the guys, Andrew Simpson, one of them, Jaden Virgin, another that I was extremely proud of just in regards to, once again, not just because it was a sack or a TFL, but how he was able to play in that game to do his job consistently with what we put on him. Very proud of him and his development. And just where he's going to continue to grow throughout the season is going to be a huge deal, especially with Demetri Allen, some of these guys made up. I mean, he's, he's going to continue to be, need to do that and, and even grow in that. Another guy that I, I can't forget is Ahmed Hassanin, and, and he is one of the top sack masters in the Mountain West Conference, and it might not seem like it, but he is pushing for that role. Right now, he has six sacks on the season, tied for third most in the Mountain West. He has nine tackles for loss in the season, tied for third most in the Mountain West. He has at least one sack in five out of the last six games. His 3.5 sacks in the month of October alone, second in the Mountain West, only to Mohamed Kamara, who is one of the best oh, yeah. guys in the nation when it comes to rushing the quarterback. And that that is good company that you want to see him in, and the coaches have continued to say, like, oh, man, this guy – he is going to be a dude. And now, I, I, I mean, I probably sound like a broken record, but I, I've just been waiting for this moment. And whether it be Ahmed, whether it be Jaden, whether it be Ty Benefield, whether it be Andrew Simpson, we are now finally starting to identify some potential stars on this Boise State defense. Yeah, and, you know, it's just tough. You know, you go back to, like, what you said. Is it, you know, the level of competition we were playing earlier in the season? Why we didn't have guys, you know, getting as much pressure and – you know, standing out or, you know, Could what is Could be the it? case. I Yeah, I hear you. Either way, those reps versus these reps, obviously you can see that we've, we're getting better. And then the good thing about that is now that we went against that such tough competition and now we're playing these Mountain West teams who obviously we are typically used to dominating, mm-hmm. we're starting to see that come on now. The guys are like, oh, well, I've been against, you know, Obviously, Washington's the number five team in the country. They went against their alignment, so we should be able to get a pass rush versus, you know, a Colorado State, an Air Force, mm-hmm. these, all these different teams that we have to play. So I think we're starting to see that come on, and we're back leveling the playing field. Well, Boise State is going to have to continue to make strides this week. They get to travel down to Fresno and deal with that Bulldog fan base, the long walk down the hill where everybody's yelling at you, a really unique, hostile environment. And Fresno State has a great squad this year. They rank near the top of the country in scoring defense, near the top of the country in scoring offense. Andy Avalos said they should be a top 25 program. They're still on the outside looking in, but with a win against Boise State, one of their biggest rivals, they could be fighting for a spot inside that top 25, a spot in a bowl game um, that would be pretty significant because it would lead them maybe to the Mountain West Conference Championship game as well. Yeah, you're going into Fresno, very hostile environment. It's uh, it's, it's a great place to play, but... 
Not if you have blue on your jersey. Don't say that. <laughs> what is that walk like? It, it, so I, I, if you've been there, you know. If you haven't been there, it, this might be a little foreign to you. But the locker rooms for the visitors are kind of located up back outside of one of the end zones. And so in order to make your way down this long uh, kind of tunnel um, that goes downhill into the field, you got to walk through yep. their, their fans. And if they show up, which they always show up for Boise State, it can be a little bit of an intimidating walk. It's, you know, it's just, it's what you see. You know how you always see crazy clips online mm-hmm. of, like, at sporting events? That's what the Fresno walk is. You know, you've seen all the fans. There are going to be a lot of intoxicated people there <laughs> in that line. But, uh, you know, I think where we are, I feel good going into this one. Feel you feel good? Really good going in this one. Okay. Why is that? Why do you feel so confident? Because of where we, how, what we've seen in the last three weeks. Obviously, you take away those that four minutes. Those four minutes are going to haunt us for mm-hmm. the whole season. But outside of those four minutes, I, even with you know the uncertainty at quarterback, we've been just steady going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So. Like I said, this is the perfect time of year for us to be playing the kind of football we're playing right now. You take out those four minutes, and Boise State is undefeated in Mountain West Conference play. They're five and three overall, not ideal, but certainly a lot better than sitting mm-hmm. at five hundred. And they're going down to Fresno State with, I mean, a must-win, sure, but not nearly as much pressure, I would say, yeah. as, as had they finished off Colorado State. Yep. This team, they. I think Jeff Tedford, man, he does an unbelievable job at Fresno State. He built yeah. that program up once. He left. He built it back up again, and now they are contending for a Mountain West Conference championship again. And I think you can see that, I mean, the, the, the proof is in his record and what, what he's done. They, yeah. they, they are, he is a good, a good football coach that can build a, a program in a, in a time in college football where it's just not easy to do that. No, for sure. I definitely agree with that. It's, it's uh, I don't get it, man. They, like, like you said, he left. Mm-hmm. You know, then you got, is that, is it DeBoer? Yeah, he comes in and he just, I think even he elevated it from where it was, they, and yeah. then he goes to Washington, he comes back and it's just like, didn't, didn't drop, drop the ball at all. Nope, uh, they've had a great time. Uh, or they've they've had a. I mean, you want to talk about a team that utilizes the transfer portal? They have done that a number of times to address their quarterback situation, mm-hmm. and it's worked out really, really well for them. They have another one right now that they got out of the portal before him. Jake Hayner, they got out of the portal. Mm-hmm. They've, they've done a good job there. They, the only time that they were really down, so Tim DeRuder was there from 12 to 16. They were really good at the beginning of his tenure. Then they really fell off. Eric Kiesa, former Boise State mm-hmm. coach, had to be the interim head coach there. And Tedford, you know, he, he might have had a you know, rough time at the very beginning, but Quickly, they got good, and then they were great. And then Kalen DeBoer, as you said, there was that COVID year, which was weird. But then the next year, they're back in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. And then, oh, Tedford rolls back in and takes him back to the Conference Championship game and wins it. Yeah. He, he's just a, he's a good coach. He's a very steady presence. You can tell he knows what he's doing, has confidence in his players. And uh, I know that he is trying to call on uh, Bulldogs, what we call Bulldog Nation, I don't know what they call them down there, to rally up the fan base this week because he wants to that place to be a home field advantage for them. They have it, that old beautiful place they call Fresno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be rocking for sure in there, especially with them being 7-1. Are they 7-1? Mm-hmm. Jeez, yeah. They, that will be probably a sold-out game. Uh, very hostile, they, like they, you said. They, they sold it out weeks ago, Shane. Yeah, see, like they, this one's been circled on the calendar for uh, not only the football team but for their fans. 
This is great, though, because I believe last time we went there, this was the same situation. Same situation. Very, very similar. Boise State kind of struggling, wanting to get the bowl eligibility. Andy mm-hmm. Avalos' first year there. They might have even been a touchdown underdog that game. Yeah. And they rolled them 40-14. to 14. I, I mean, they, they, they were lights out. George Halani had a massive game that contest, and they were lights out against Fresno State and en route to a blowout victory. They need history to repeat itself. Shane, what, what do you got for us, man? How does this one play out? Over under, I think we established, is 55. Fresno, Fresno State favored by a field goal. If Ashton Gentry plays this game, we win by, we win by 10. Ooh. If Ashton Gentry plays this game. Okay, kind of a big if at this point. Yeah, that, I'm not sure what the, the scoop is on that one. Without him, I think it's going to be a four-point game. We're going to edge it out. Edge it out. And with him, we win by 10 plus. Well, let's hope he can play. The only thing I will say about Fresno State's schedule, the record looks great at 7-1. and one. They haven't had the most difficult schedule so far. You wonder who they've played. They won at Purdue. On the road against a Power 5 team is nothing to bat an eye at, but they barely squeaked by a, a Eastern Washington team, an FCS school that is not good this year. They crushed Arizona State, who um, I'm reluctant to admit just picked up their second win of the season. <laughs> Who was that that against, Jay? I forget. I don't know. There's a lot of college football games. I can't remember all of them. Uh, But outside of that, they they don't really have an impressive win. I guess you could argue uh, UNLV. Uh, UNLV's having a good year, but like I, I can't help but also say that it's UNLV. Like I don't know if that's your hallmark win of the season. That that needs to. That's not going to blow you away. So th- I mean, this might be their biggest win of the season if they can get it. Hosting Boise State. That they they, you know, there's a history there. Boise State has definitely beaten Fresno State more often than not. Uh, recently, it's been pretty divided, pretty split in this rivalry. And now Boise State's going to go down and try to wreck Fresno State's season, take the upper hand of getting the Mountain West Conference championship game with UNLV getting a loss. Now that path is becoming a little more clear, a little more controllable for Boise State considering they don't play the Rebels. So um, what? So you're, you're confident Boise State by uh, by four? I'm going Ashton Gentry playing. We're going okay. to win 31-21. Okay, all right. Let's keep our fingers crossed, mostly on the Ashton Genty one, because if he can play, anything is possible. If he can't, then all of a sudden this is going to be a little more difficult without the most productive player in all of college football available to you. Uh, As always, Shane, it has been fun. It has been a blast. Bronco Nation, a late kickoff, not until 8 o'clock. Bronco Roundup game day will be coming your way 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. here on KTVB on Saturday, and then we'll hit you with a digital-only show live from the field at 7 o'clock Mountain Time because we want to get you those latest injury updates, who's in, who's out for the Boise State football team. We can show you that live look from inside Bulldog Stadium in Fresno. For Shane Williams-Rhodes, I'm Jay Tuss. This is Jay Sports Bar serving the Idaho sports community.